Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello and welcome to the podcast. The topic for today is distribution networks, which I think will be increasingly in the spotlight as the energy transition gathers pace and energy becomes more localized, uh, decentralized, and electrified. No longer will distribution networks, or DSOs, be the slow-moving and slightly dull parts of the energy system. The jobs they're having to do are changing and becoming harder and harder. For example, connecting renewables, accommodating and facilitating electrification, and integrating with other parts of the energy system or while coping with more climate extremes. Luckily, while they've got more and more jobs to do and more challenges, they've got new tools to do these jobs, enabled by their ISO software, the Internet of Things, tidal ways of data, artificial intelligence, and more. So really exciting times to be working for a DSO or working with a DSO. And if today you're not working with network companies, maybe you're an energy retailer or in the flexibility sector, then I think you'll be interacting more and more with distribution networks in the future, which makes me delighted to welcome three guests to today's podcast. And today we've got guests from Enel in Italy, Alianda from the Netherlands, and UK Power Networks, whose name gives their location away. So let's say hello to my guests. First of all, uh, Viviana Vito from NL. Hello, Viviana. Hi. Nice to stay here with you today. And you're very welcome. Uh, Viviana, can you just tell our guests briefly what your role is at NL? Yes. My name is Viviana Vito, and uh, I've been in the energy sector since a long while, actually more than 22 years. And currently, I have the role and uh, possibility to be the head of market strategy and uh, regulatory analysis within the global infrastructure and network, this is the division that in NL uh, take care, let's say, of all the distribution company all over the world. Okay, and that's a lot more than just Italy, isn't it? Your distribution companies. No. Yes. How, many, uh, how many countries Italy, altogether? We, as distributors, we have eight yeah. countries. We are Italy, Spain, Romania, and Europe, and abroad in Latin America in all the main mega city, megalopoly of Latin America, so five countries on top. Great. Okay, we'll come back to you shortly. Uh, my second guest is Suleiman Ali from UK Power Networks. Hello, Sul. Hi, Um Now, fortunately, Sul, we can't see you, but the video connection is not working, but we can hear you fine. So, uh, Sul, likewise, can you just tell us a bit about your role at UK Power Networks? Sure. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm the Director of Strategy and Customer Service at UK Power Networks. Uh, so I look after all of our customer facing operations, our business strategy, uh, and I also look after regulation, uh, technology, and innovation. Great, thanks very much, So Look forward to hearing from you shortly. Um, our third guest is uh, hopefully sorting out his uh, technical challenges in joining the webinar. It's Dan Schutt, who's a CTO at Alianda in the Netherlands. So we'll hear from Dan shortly. What I've asked my guests to do 
is to talk about the top three opportunities or challenges as the uh, from a DSO perspective as the energy transition gathers pace. Opportunities or challenges? Well, because one person's opportunity is it, well, one person's challenge is another person's opportunity. And maybe it depends a bit whether you're a, as we say in English, a glass half empty person or a glass half full person. So I'll ask each of my guests to go through their uh, top three opportunities or challenges in reverse order. So third biggest, second biggest, and then the biggest. Um, and then we'll have a, a discussion around some of the themes, the differences in uh, what my guests think. So uh, Viviana, let's go with uh, you to begin with. Um, do you want to go through your, your three, two, one in terms of your yeah. opportunity <laughs> challenges? Now, as we were mentioning, the DSO now is, um, DSO, DNO is changing their role and it's more and more crucial and essential in the energy transition. So the challenges and opportunity are uh, a, a different angle of the same uh, point that you need to tackle uh, as operator. But uh, if I need to put the priority, I think that the first one that I mentioned, that is the third one that actually in my opinion is more essential is to being innovative and resilient. Uh, meaning resilience that is uh, not just being resilient to climate change condition but to market disruption condition. <laughs> meaning that uh, the situation by which the DSO will find themselves in uh, uh, managing different uh, uh, consumer, consumers uh, and all the new actor will create uh, uh, new dynamics uh, to manage the, the network and these uh, means putting together all the uh, tools in terms of innovation from the automation uh, in different layers. So we consider smart meter essential, but uh, any other um, capability of the DSO to have uh, remote control, to have sensors, IoT, going to artificial intelligence use in order to better uh, profile the use of the network and TIs, meaning uh, this uh, uh, challenge was also opportunity. The second okay. one is um, to be participatory. So we need to mm -hmm. do a platform and uh, create a way that all the other players can uh, play together with the network. And this means uh, design and role of a flexible operator of a, a system operator then can allow all the counterparts uh, to participate in an open okay. way and having to the customer. And the yep. third one that, uh, in my opinion, is the first one in terms of importance is to do all of that being sustainable. So to participate to the gain, uh, to arrive to decarbonization, an objective uh, um, for uh, less CO2 and other uh, emission, meaning not just having the hosting capacity for the renewable or the electric mobility possibly coming from green energy that we have on our network, but being also uh, in the asset itself, CO2 absorber. So having the capability to design processes and services in order that everything is optimized to do the best for uh, creating an environment uh, uh, that is much uh, um, participation, participative to the, to the objective of uh, reducing emission. Okay, uh, Viviana, I think that's, I'm fascinated by your answers, uh, if I just summarize them. So the uh, third one was being innovative and resilient. Um, the second one being participatory, 
so this new role, DSO role as an orchestrator. And number one, being sustainable, which isn't just about your own operations, but sustainable in your approach. Um, so involving the entire energy ecosystem. And the reason I think these are really interesting ways to frame them are it's as much about your mindset in a way as technically what you're doing. Um, is, is that how you're thinking about how, you, how your mindset yeah. is in approaching networks? Yeah, it's a mindset, but uh, with an engineering uh, approach that should remain. This means that uh, when you have to design, for example, uh, uh, something in your network, you need since the very beginning to think to the value that this design in terms of uh, specific appliance or specific processes uh, should bring also in terms of KPI for the ambition of emission and all the other ambition in terms of sustainability. So I give an example that is very practical one, but it's not the only one that we have in our company. It is about smart meter. We tend to design smart meters since the very beginning in order they can absorb CO2, meaning the asset itself needs to be, for example, done in a circular economy with the plastic reused from other meter or from other mm. plastic reutilization. And also the entire design of the processes to do the smart meters should be uh, from the very starting points in that direction. So all the value chain, all the supply chain, all the logistics. So this can really create value because the opportunity we have as distributor, they see a very distributor, local, but very incredible volume of things that we produce, we use for our network. And this means a good capability to escalate. So a small innovation design for value, for an asset, for a processes, if it's replicated, can bring value in all the network and also for our peers, because we have nothing competition. So we can bring the same topology of processes elsewhere. We don't need to stick in our uh, area because we have only for ourselves this deployment and innovation uh, only for us. We can share with peers. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great example. Thanks for bringing that to life. Um, we'll come back and discuss some of these points um, once we've heard from Sul and Dan. Sul, um, over to you now. So your, your top three in reverse order. So third, second, then first. Okay, sure. Um, so hi, good afternoon. So nice that we can see you now. Nice that we can see you now as well. That always makes things easy. I managed to get the uh, the firewall adjusted, which is nice when you're on technology. Uh, uh, okay, so um, kind of in reverse order, I would say number one, um, electric vehicles. So uh, in the UK, transport accounts for about a third of greenhouse gas emissions, and the big challenge that we see here is how do we scale up the provision of EV public charging to tackle um, EV inequality and avoid some of the issues we've seen in things like broadband where rural communities or we have sort of charging deserts that appear where it's not viable for market-based approaches to, uh, to deliver the infrastructure that's needed at the charge points particularly. So the question, the challenge is what role should DNOs play working with market participants, national level government to ensure that everybody uh, can benefit from the decarbonisation of transport and that we don't have uh, or we don't exacerbate inequality in society. The second one is around energy efficiency. So in order to decarbonise heat, uh, you, you, know, you need to have an energy efficiency rating in the UK, a minimum energy efficiency rating C. We have lots of properties that are nowhere close to that. And therefore, if we're going to decarbonise heat, how are we going to 
um, commercialise energy efficiency to tackle the issues that we have in our legacy housing stock and what role should uh, DSOs or DNOs play uh, in that because effective energy efficiency you, one could see it as like a flexibility service uh, in that it reduces peak demand and overall demand so how should DNOs DSOs be producing products and services that effectively com help commercialise energy efficiency at scale uh, and then the third one, uh, probably most important, is what I call whole systems um, and the enabling incentives. There was a recent report that was done by Imperial College at London and the Carbon Trust, and uh, those guys and girls identified something like £17 billion per annum by 2050 from having smarter, more flexible energy networks. And when you look at that business case, what it is, is basically a cost avoidance. It's about saying, well, if you have much smarter flexible energy networks and you know consumers that are effectively choosing to consume when it's cheaper and greener to do so you can avoid building new generation plants new nukes uh, new renewables that you don't need right because actually um, you're you're consuming in a more efficient way so the question then is okay how do you remunerate network companies so dso's market participants that are pivotal to unlock that system value because it's a cost avoidance um, so how do you create the right incentives and frameworks to make sure that we all benefit from that 17 billion pounds of savings plan? That is a big strategic issue. Thanks, Saul. So summarising, uh, third in third place was the uh, EV public charging provision, particularly where the market won't deliver that public charging infrastructure. What role can uh, a DSO play in that? Second was energy efficiency linked to decarbonising heat. How can DSOs help to support, incentivize, or facilitate energy efficiency? And number one, whole system incentives. So getting a more flexible energy system. Um, how, what role can a network company play? How should you be remunerated? So what I think is interesting, or my takeaway from this is, all three of those areas go out with of what traditionally a DNO or a DSO would think about its networks and its assets. So uh, all of those stray onto the other side of the meter, as it is often called. So how do you see that as a pivotal change or new role in your job as a, a DSO that you've traditionally focused on your assets, your transformers, your cables? In the future, you're going to be much more involved with customers' assets. Uh, yeah, 100%, 100%. But I don't think that will be, sitting on the UK, directly involved uh, with end consumers, as an example, will probably work through intermediaries like aggregators or energy suppliers who effectively have the end relationship with the, with the customer. But effectively, from a customer's point of view, if they are, if, if they are um, presented with compelling propositions that effectively say, you can, we can lower your energy bill if you can consume, but it's cheaper and greener to do so, the network companies uh, should be able to reduce their reinforcement needs, reinforcement investments, and pass on some of that value uh, to customers. And network companies should be incentivized to do that. So yes, definitely, uh, we need to be thinking about collaboration and propositions for end consumers and customers, and what our role will be to make those products and services, new propositions viable. Thanks, so We'll come back and discuss some of that in a bit more detail shortly. Um, now, we're still waiting for Dan Schutt. Um, unfortunately, I understand that Aliander Firewall is uh, proving very effective and meaning he's got a challenge in joining the 
uh, GoToMeeting software that we're using. So, uh, so we'll like you discover with your camera and getting around your firewall. DSOs are certainly quite secure in the networks at the moment in certain ways. Um, luckily, I've got Dan's top three challenges, which I can share with you. Hopefully, Dan will be able to join us for the discussion. So his um, his third place challenge was digital transformation of the energy system. So embracing digitalization and better utilization. His second challenge was scaling operational output. So realizing more grid reinforcements more quickly. And his first challenge was truly utilizing flexibility or influencing behaviors for an effective and efficient energy system. Um, so some similar themes there, digitalization, scaling operational output, which is, uh, I think, slightly different still from yours and Viviana's, and then uh, truly utilizing flexibility, I think echoed in Viviana's saw both of, both of your points. And interestingly, talking with Aleander, I know when they've got a lot of grid congestion, like both of you probably have in connecting renewables to their networks. And it's interesting to hear the culture that when they can't connect a new PV farm, for example, or an application for a PV farm, it really, their employees, it really hurts them because their employees really want to connect renewables. They want to be part of the energy transition. They want to be enabling it. And um, I think that was an interesting observation for me on that culture, that they're, they're desperate to facilitate the energy transition and it hurts them when they when they act as a, well, when they can't do that. Um, so Viviana and Sil, I'm interested in your observations on each other's priorities. Um, was there anything that surprised you on each other's points or anything that, um, was different to how you think about things? Or would you say you agree completely with each other's points, they're just expressed in a, in a different way? I think that the points are all very similar and it's just a, a question of expressing it so with different uh, angle in the end, but uh, the, and, and this is why the opportunity again on, uh, in between uh, the, the, the player of this uh, part of the value chain, the DSO, DNO, whatever, uh, is peculiar because uh, the, the capability that we can have in confronting ourselves on the technical uh, uh, points uh, can arrive really in a very um, a good level uh, in terms of transparency. So we can really share uh, how to how to do no, the um, and this is independent uh, from the organizational type. Uh, of choice that the company can have, but when you put two people on the technical side to understand how to facilitate the connection, uh, in the end, uh, is really mm, a fruitful conversation. And I've experimented sometimes table of discussion, uh, facilitating uh, people from different uh, country and different player was very useful. And, and this is again the idea how the SO can open the participation with other. First of all, with other peers, uh, I could mention that uh, we uh, launched uh, before the summer uh, this flexibility lab initiative uh, that uh, is exactly the center we are doing to creating a place where we can exchange technical tools and technical instruments 
to um, plan how the network should participate uh, with the system on the flexibility market uh, and open to players that can bring uh, services for this market in futures, but also peers that can experiment uh, the trial on uh, these uh, labs. So I think this is a way to do it, to open technology, to open innovation, and to have a place where we can share it. So open to everyone uh, to, uh, to have our uh, flexibility labs uh, initiative uh, that are in Italy and Spain, uh, but also can bring experience from other countries. I guess the physics is the same from network to network. The regulation may differ, the precise market structure may differ, but the engineering and the physics are common. Um, so what about your, yourself in terms of the, the what you've heard from Viviana and the, out, the priorities that are outlined from Dana to Aliander? Look, they, they resonate with me. I think we've just taken slightly different perspectives on, on the same sort of challenges. I've, I've come at it from a, okay, as a country, we need to hit net zero by 2050. It's heat transport uh, and we need to do it cheaply. So how do we go about doing that, what our role is? But in order for us to be able to achieve those things, the things that Viviana pointed out are, are, are really key. So the first one around innovation uh, and how we need to look at the problems and solutions in a different way. Uh, so that that needs to pervade every aspect of our business um, because we're not going to achieve net zero uh, if we just kind of think about the solutions in the way that we've always thought about them. So an example would be, you know, where we see uh, huge connection volumes coming in. I don't think it's acceptable for network companies to say, we don't have any capacity, you can't connect. Uh, that would be a failure. Our job is to make sure that people can connect. And therefore, you know, we, we for example, have um, thought about things like timed connections, flexible connections, where, you know, an example would be in London, you know, bus operators that are on really tight timescales, never had to work with the electricity sector at scale. You know, they don't know what the lead times are. They've said, we need to get some bus garages online ASAP. Now, we can't say to them, oh, sorry, you're going to have to wait 24 months for reinforcement. We've got a timed connection. We looked at their demand profile, allowed them to connect, 75% cheaper, and actually it's 12 months off the time frame. Bang. Now, what we need to be able to do is to think about those types of solutions uh, in everything that we do. And I think the other point that Viviana raised was around sort of the participatory approach. That, and I think that really resonates with me because we have to now work with sectors that, quite frankly, have not had to give a damn about the electricity. It's just been a given. You know, so like fleet operators, they don't really know anything about electricity as it pertains to EV charging, and we don't know much about them. And therefore, you know, coming up with new products and services requires us to uh, change the way in which we operate. And I think there's lots we can learn from the competitive market in terms of how competitive businesses, they have to fight for their revenue, go about understanding customer segment needs and how they go about developing propositions for those needs. What what do you both think about the, I guess, a change of mindset uh, needed for that? You know, Viviana, you've framed your three challenges very much around mindset driving the right engineering approach. So what you've described is different from where a network company was 10 years ago, for example. So given how urgent, well, how quickly the change is coming to the energy sector now and how urgent the challenge is, how hard is it to drive that mindset that you're talking about, Sol, and Viviana, that you outlined in your, your response to the top three 
opportunities. Uh, it's clear that uh, you need to have a, a driver, and uh, I think that uh, probably since a little bit more than 10 years we have on the objective and pillar. This is why when you need to be sustainable and uh, as, a co as a company, as a group, uh, uh, you have a sustainable bonds, uh, then you need to bring that also in uh, not only on the renewable side, but on the component of the value chain, because you want to be sustainable uh, in a wider, let's say, uh, scope. Um, and this is coming from the top then uh, from the bottom-up approach uh, this is why you need to enter into uh, um, stimulating uh, uh, any type of products or service in that direction and uh, the way we are trying to do that is uh, uh, through transformational process uh, into uh, platform let's say modality this is uh, to combine the different model and solution using of data uh, in, in order to be uh, very pervasive not just to have a silos approach but to have a more holistic but not just uh, but in a real uh, modality for example the challenges of data i think is an incredible opportunity because you need to imagine an incredible amount of data that uh, you can reach thousand of uh, billion per day of data from stameter for example no? uh, you need to have sensor and you have this thousand of sensors and then you need to transform this into opportunity how you can really valorize these inputs uh, into giving to solution for your business uh, to for your objective and to be more resilient to respond much better in terms of uh, the features you need to have uh, and the standard let's say compromise you have for your concession or license uh, to be reliable because in the very end it's about that you need to be reliable and user electricity is so increasing in terms of also other sector sectors electric mobility the we have experimented uh, through this uh, pandemic uh, how for telecom operators uh, is more essential <laughs> electricity. And they know, they knew, let's say, but they realized how much is it, mm. probably. And also all the other sector, because uh, to, to sustain the data flow, you need electricity and otherwise you, you cannot do anything, everything. So this is so crucial and so spread in all the systems also at uh, sector business sector level that uh, uh, you need to use this challenge as an opportunity also to cooperate example sharing infrastructure with telecom operator things that we already do but you need to do much better sharing data with other sector in order to have this bunch of data that could be uh, what essentially is possible with the, all, all the regulation gpr but uh, you can use data for vegetation mm. to provide to your network a better use for maintenance, but you can have vegetation also for the administration of a city. So this is the platform. It's not just uh, interconnection in between tools of uh, uh, technical, uh, um, but also capability of having these uh, uh, shares. Viviana, I've seen from Enel, you know, you've been very successful with NLX, for example, your services business, not the networks part of the NL, but other parts of NL. And talking with people in NLX and other parts of NL, it's really stemmed from leadership from from the top. You can you can see and feel how that leadership flows down through uh, NLX and different parts of NL. Is that the same in the networks parts of your business? Are, are you having to push this down from above or is it bubbling up from below or is it a bit of both? Uh, it's a bit of both but I think that really we changed the 
the, the sense of urgency um, uh, in a very different uh, manner. For years, the distribution business has been considered, even in a company like Enel, sort of uh, latest part of the uh, everywhere actually, but uh, sort of uh, supply, security of supply, different business diversification. Then you have this poor guy working on a network <laughs> yeah, that are technical people, engineer. Uh, forget about that. They need just to do connection on the renewable. Yeah. But now, really, this is changing. You will hear uh, more and more our group CEO, Rachel, speaking about uh, network and also uh, the responsible or our division is uh, uh, Antonello Camiteca coming from the green electricity with a very enthusiastic approach and very different drivers and um, with a little more revolution in terms of a managerial approach. But I think this has been changing. And I can tell that because I'm a person that is in the company since really too many years probably, but uh, I, 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 all the value chain of the company, so renewable, generation, etc. also in NLX, I've been three years there. Uh, but I think that now the, the way we do is really uh, a new way. It's really since, changing. Since, since, yeah, really changing a lot. So how about UK Power Networks and changing the mindset and that innovative approach and being open to new approaches? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's not about throwing the baby out of the bathwater. There, there are mindsets and um, ways of doing things that are still valid. You know, we are traditionally a risk-averse uh, culture. We like to measure things. We like to know uh, the uh, impact of a change before we go make the change. Because obviously, uh, keeping the lights on is, is our number one uh, priority. Um, uh, so I think those uh, strong engineering uh, domain expertise and mindsets will remain. But I think what we need to do is supplement them with uh, more entrepreneurship, uh, a curiosity around data, um, technology skills that, um, that we haven't really needed in the past, but we will need in the future around machine learning, AI. Uh, and I think it's about then combining both of those two things together to solve specific problems uh, and actually taking a more consumer-led approach. Like in the past where network companies have not had the end relationship with customers. I mean, I remember 20 years ago talking to utility executives, and they would say, "We don't have customers. We have meter points." You know, and in the UK, or, and look, or you have, or they have, or they have one customer, and that's a regulator. Yeah, that's right. And and you know, and you look at it now, and you think, "Well, how retrograde uh, a perspective was that?" You know, now you look in the UK, and all of the DNOs, DSOs are fighting to be number one in customer service. They're measuring everything daily. You know, they're delivering as an industry over nine out of ten. Uh, customer service scores and the culture's changed massively. And I think what we need to do is then now kind of look at the yardstick and say, right, we need to, we can't compare ourselves to other regulated businesses. We need to compare ourselves to businesses operating a competitive market. And what would they do in terms of understanding future customer needs? And how do they get their their products and services ready for that future market? So I think it's it's not about um, replacing this, the mindsets and skills. It's about supplementing them with these new things that we need, given the changing energy system. And I guess there's no one magic button to press to to get that going. That again starts with leadership. That flows from the top. It's culture. It's the change of mindset that takes time to develop. I think it starts with purpose more than anything. Uh, you know, what is the purpose of your company? And I think if that's not clear, then 
you see that in, in organizations that just keep running around having just chickens from one uh, crisis to another. I think you, you've got to you've got to be clear as a company what what is your purpose? How do you measure that purpose? What ambitions are you setting on that purpose? And then I think it gives clarity to everyone in the organization about what is their role in achieving those objectives. Are their measures aligned with the organizational measures, if you want to call it that? And I think that's what helps. If you don't have that, how does anyone know what's important and what their role is in delivering what's important? Yeah, it's a lesson for everyone in terms of purpose, whatever organization you work in. And has that purpose changed still? Um, you know, I'm thinking of how someone in a DSO might have answered that question 10 years ago. The purpose might have been to minimize the cost of maintaining assets or to focus on reliability. So how do you articulate that purpose in your company? And Viviana, interested in how, how you'd articulate that in the networks part of your, your company? Yeah, I mean, so when we were formed in 2010 um, as UK Power Networks, uh, we had three core objectives that we set at an organisational level, which is to be an employer of choice, a respected corporate citizen, and to be sustainably cost efficient. And what we did as an organisation, we basically set very clear KPIs, not a list of 100. We actually managed this business at that level and about sort of a, you know, less than a dozen KPIs. So we looked at, for example, lost time injuries. We looked at employee engagement. We looked at things like our reliability performance, um, our customer service scores, um, our stakeholder engagement scores. And then we looked at how we are performing against the regulatory contract that has been set by Ofgem as it pertains to costs. Because in a commercial business, if, if you earn £100 and your budget is £50, you don't go and say, oh, well, that's fine, I'll just keep spending 50 In a commercial enterprise, you will seek to spend 40 because you get more profit. So how do we... Uh, get that same commercial tension in our business as it pertains to the regulatory contract, i.e. drive more and more efficiency. So we set those objectives and they've done us well uh, for the last uh, 10 years, 11 years. You know, we're, we're top on just about every measure uh, that we've set, whether it's safety, reliability, service. Have but, you changed them? But which, yeah, yeah, no, they've evolved. They have evolved. Mm. We, haven't changed, we, haven't changed it. we haven't changed the measures that were there. We've evolved them, right? So for example, 10 years ago, we never had anything on diversity and inclusiveness, right? but we have. We've now said that we're going to benchmark ourselves and be one of the amongst the best uh, in, in the UK. We never had any measures on um, uh, effectively how we're driving and facilitating competition. Um, we never had any measures on um, uh, sort of you know, gender parity and some of those other things. So, so we have added, we've evolved and adapted and added new measures as the society and the environment around us has changed, right? Most recently, we're adding a fourth pillar to our vision, right? Which is how are we going to facilitate net zero for uh, our communities? And we're adding that explicitly at the top level, uh, equivalent to being an employer of choice, a respected corporate citizen, and sustainably cost efficient. So underneath that pillar, we're gonna add some specific measures. How are we supporting our employees to decarbonize their lifestyles? How are we supporting the regions to decarbonize uh, within, uh, within the areas that we cover? Uh, how are we supporting and driving competition uh, and greater flexibility to deliver net zero at the lowest cost? So we're changing that plank of our vision and we're adding a kind of a fourth pillar with clear objectives and targets. And we're actually establishing a DSO, an independent 
and separable DSO from the DNO with specific targets and an, uh, an objective to drive competition in every part of the business, which will be under the same ownership group, but will be very distinct and separate in terms of it will have its own advisory board, its own metrics uh, and measures of success, which will report separately to the regulator and to stakeholders. Okay, that's fascinating to hear how you articulate that sense of purpose so, and how that's evolved. Um, Viviana, from Enel's perspective, sense of purpose, what what shone through to me in the way you answered those questions was talking about things like the UN Sustainable Development Goals as part of your purpose. So, yeah, how how widespread is that through your networks businesses in eight different countries mm -hmm. are you trying to develop this sort of common sense of purpose across all your countries yeah i think uh, that this was partially also was mentioned earlier. the point is uh, when you create a purpose that can be shareable also for the people that participate or contribute in terms of uh, employee uh, this uh, can for sure uh, give you the capability to not only drive the change but to make it happen because otherwise you drive the change from the top and then you know happen because people feel not so comfortable for the purpose so uh, being and giving to the business sustainability goals and trying to for all the country to align it in, in as we mentioned before in processes and services uh, this creates two opportunities the first one is to uh, probably also uh, having these economics that you were referring before in a good shape because you create uh, uh, standard of quality and standard of services then uh, create synergy in the business and in all the uh, value chain of your business uh, and being with a presence in eight countries you can imagine that you standardize product and service this can facilitate this type of economic of scale uh, within the uh, the different uh, activity that you have to do and on the other side uh, you create also KPI to uh, give your purpose no? and to mm. track exactly emission and to accompany each decision in terms of investment also with this type of uh, uh, evaluation um, and, and track it and measure it and be also accountable for that uh, I think this does create value for the entire company because in the end uh, being accountable on that also creates uh, a major interest from uh, investors then uh, can look to the sector not just with a profit bond uh, because you have the certain level of HCG or certain level of uh, uh, regulated profit but you, you are more uh, um, uh, in, in line with the objective uh, uh, of sustainability than also uh, investor can have. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's really a value. Uh, I, I think really that uh, creating value on this type of uh, purpose is creating economic value. It's automatic. They're the not, they're not, is, it's not an either or, they support each other. Yeah. 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 And then um, you have the, 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 the regulator that uh, you need to have on board on that because they need to track this type of value also in your revenue stream somehow. Well, that's my, that's my last question I want to come to now for both of you, which is speed and pace. Um, I said at the beginning of the discussion, uh, the energy transition is gathering pace. And I think if you think of a hockey stick shaped curve, I think we're, we're still on the shallow part of the curve. I think 
some people think a lot has changed, but I think the speed and pace of change in the energy sector is going to accelerate and accelerate. So, and our 2030 carbon targets are really challenging. Yet this is energy sectors, conservative sector, the network sector is probably the more conservative part of the sector, rightly risk averse, very focused on keeping the lights on. And it's very regulated and regulators um, move at a certain pace, sometimes fast, but often not as fast as we might want. So how do we reconcile the urgency, the heavy regulation in the sector, and the naturally risk-averse mindset of many people in the sector? Are they contradictory? How do each of you feel about reconciling those and moving at a fast enough pace? So maybe starting with you and then, then Viviana. I would say, look, there's always trade-offs uh, between all of these things. So yes, we need to deliver <clears throat> at pace. And you know, do we think that we're going fast enough Probably not, I would say, but if you look at the track record, so if, if you take, for example, in the UK market, just look at how we decarbonized power over the last 10 years. Um, and that has exceeded a lot of uh, expectations, particularly if you look at, for example, solar distributed generation. And if you look at the recipe of how, how that was successful, you had very clear government policy and targets, back to subsidies, <coughs> you had network companies that were we're looking at what their customer needs were. And you had basically a lot of competition. So it wasn't just a network company delivering the capacity. You had a buoyant uh, independent connections provider market, uh, et cetera. So there was a, a plethora of wealth of talent that could that you could rely on to actually make those connections. I think we need to uh, recreate that same recipe for success uh, where, as it pertains to transport and heat if we're going to achieve the next 10 years and 20 years worth of targets. So I don't, I'm not worried about that actually. I just think that it's more about just being focused on um, setting targets that are achievable within a shorter time frame. So part of the problem that we find is that you know, if, you, if you talk about 2050, it's kind of like, well, actually, who's going to be here? A lot of the people that are making decisions today are not going to be around in 2050. So I think what we need to do is change our mindset, take like a COVID emergency mindset that says we must do something. Okay, what do we need to do over the next five years? Uh, in terms of carbon reductions, right? How do we go about combining policy, incentives, and competition, and networks to drive the outcomes we want? That, that's what we need to do. So I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not worried about it. I think we should be confident about what we've achieved today. Mm. We just now need to amp it up a little bit. Just to have the right focus, the right sense of urgency. Um, that's it. Yeah, yep. exactly. It is going to be harder, no question, because decarbonisation over the next decade. Uh, in the next 20 years, it's going to require behaviour change and action at a consumer level, which the last 10 years, quite frankly, has been invisible to most consumers. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's the dynamic that's changing that we need to be on top of and decide how we're going to tackle that, because it impacts all of us as, as citizens, uh, as well as people that work in the utility sector. Thanks all. Viviana, to, to finish, how do you see the, the urgency and the pace? No, the urgency is, is there. Uh, also, I think that uh, the capability of uh, this sector is huge. Eh? So in the end, uh, uh, normally the way that, uh, because we have been a long uh, trial of, uh, of uh, experience, not, I'm not speaking like ANL, but in general, DSO, 
uh, are very consistent in terms of uh, their capacity to react to uh, urgency, to disruption, uh, because they are in the very end the ultimate uh, point of contact uh, where a problem is there in terms of services. So I really believe that the capability of the sector is huge and the potential of escalating in terms of solution is incredible. So the only point is to have regulator on boards in the most possible transparent in let them understanding how it works. Mm. I believe a lot on sandbox regulatory experiments that can bring value in large-scale demonstration to demonstrate the potential for having a distributor directly in contact with the service provider in terms of flexibility and how this, this can capture the value of flexibility in total, not partially, because we are so near the end points that you can capture this value in a broader way more than other players in the market. This is why we need the market local combined with the uh, not, not local market, but local to capture all these uh, potentiality of a flexible mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I think that this factory is ready. The, uh, in some part of the continents, uh, not everywhere, there could be peers that you need to bring on board with the experience and sharing experience. Uh, and this is possible to be done. So this opportunity so should we not be lucid and then uh, also for continent where uh, there could be a leapfrog uh, i believe i've been engaged for a long time in a big power plant enough this model is not working anymore it's more uh, <laughs> justified a very local market with a local producer and good distribution grids more than a transnational uh, network <laughs> sorry <laughs> but it's like that yeah. the reality is changed and the time horizon to decide on investment should be short not to yeah. be long so long well i'm pleased to hear how you both answer that question because i think there's the speed of change will increase but if you look at what distribution networks have achieved over the last decade as you said so in one of your comments um things have changed a lot and if uh, society as a whole and your employees are passionate about what they're doing, wanting to connect more more renewables, wanting to enable electrification, then I think the ingenuity, the mindset of engineers has shown that they can rise to challenges like this. So I think it's a hugely exciting area. I think it will be, distribution networks will be more and more in the spotlight. I think it's gonna be a really exciting area to be working in. And importantly, I think the sharing of best practice, Viviana, you alluded to the fact that different countries are maybe moving at slightly different paces, but there's so much learning from one country to another country, and even from that within country, um, that I think the, the answers are there or will be created. And then one of the challenges of the sector is to work together to share those, support each other um, in, in playing their bit in the next years. So time's got the better of us. I think we'll we'll leave the discussion there. Lots more we could talk about, but uh, Viviana and Saul, thank you so much for your time, for thinking about your top three challenges for the discussion today. I'm sure everyone listening to the webinar would have found that fascinating and everyone who listens to the podcast um, will really enjoy the discussion as well. Thanks, Viviana. Thank you to you for the opportunity. Thank you, Sil. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Apologies to the audience. We couldn't hear Dan. Uh, 
we'll find a way to maybe capture his views and share them as well. Thanks a lot both. Uh, thanks everyone for listening and speak to you soon. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcasts and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.